Well, good morning. Uh, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> For the last few weeks, we have uh, been reading together about what Scripture says uh, about baptism. In particular, um, we've been reading about what baptism means for those of us who have been baptized, uh, or what it could mean for those of us who haven't. And uh, one thing that is clear again and again in Scripture is that our baptisms are never simply something that happened to us a long time ago. Our baptisms uh, form our identity. They speak to how we live and worship and work uh, and serve together right now, even in this very moment. So we have seen uh, that Jesus' baptism, Jesus' baptism, showed his solidarity with us. His desire that was uh, driven by love to step in and to take our place. We have seen that our baptisms mean that we have been inseparably united to Jesus and to his body, which is the church which is a diverse and mutually interdependent new humanity of which Jesus was the first. We have seen that our baptism set us into unity with one another, and that is a unity that we are called to value and a unity that we are called to work hard to protect. And last week we saw that our baptisms mean that we have a new status. We have a newness of life under the reign of Jesus. And that brings us to this morning This morning we will see that our baptisms mean that we will be brought safely home. Let me read from 1 Peter 3 for us. I'll read verses 18 through 22. It's printed in the order of worship if you want to follow along there. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask, uh, as always, that you would use this word to meet us uh, in the places where we are. And you know, uh, you know exactly where we are, and you know uh, that all of us here, even if we are slow to admit it, we're like sheep and we're wandering around and we need you to be a shepherd to us. We need you to lead us and feed us and put us in good places. And so we ask that you would use this word that we've read and heard together to do that, and we ask it In the name of Christ, amen. Well, last summer, our our family got away to Door County. Uh, We were there for a week. We had never been there before as a family. 
And so we, uh, we tried to do all the stuff that we could do, fish, fish boils and hiking and sunsets and looking at all the stars. And one day, uh, we rented a pontoon boat so we could kind of tool around in the bay. So we took some food out there, we took some drinks out there, we turned up the music pretty loud, and we just went wherever it looked like it would be fun to go, and it was pretty great. And after a while, the girls and I wanted to uh, take a swim. So we, uh, we brought the boat up to about 30 feet from this rocky shore, uh, and we threw out the anchor, and we jumped in. We uh, swam over to that shore, we splashed around in the rocks a little, and after a while I looked up and I noticed uh, that the boat was no longer 30 feet away. Um, I don't know how far it had drifted, but it definitely looked a lot smaller than it did when we first got to the shore. My, uh, my theory is, my guess is, that it was deeper out there than it looked and the anchor uh, was just kind of skimming along behind the boat as it drifted away. No problem, right? We could, just, uh, we could just swim back to the boat. So we set off, and my girls darted through the water like they are minnows. And I'm going to have to ask you to suspend your disbelief for a moment right now when I tell you that I am not exactly a great swimmer. Um, so I was, uh, I was making my way, and my girls had disappeared up the ladder into the boat, and I wasn't even really halfway there. <laughs> Uh, and I kept at it, and as I kept at it, the boat kept drifting away. I was going a little bit faster than the drift, but not much faster than the drift. And I started running out of gas. And as I started running out of gas, I started thinking crazy thoughts like, okay, this is how it's going to happen. <laughs> you know, I wasn't thinking straight. I was, I was trying to think through, do I waste the little oxygen that I have left to yell to the boat, or do I use it to keep on swimming to make it to the boat? Well, obviously I made it. And as I, uh, as I lay on that deck trying to catch my breath, as my very own children laughed like hyenas at me, I felt a very, very deep sense of gratefulness and a very deep sense of safety. Because just a few seconds before, I had felt profoundly unsafe and unsure. And now I was safe and absolutely certain that I would be fine. And I thought about that this week because uh, in that passage that we just read together, there is a really similar image, and it is prominent in that passage. Peter mentions the Ark of Noah. He says on it, a few persons were brought safely through water. The water was a grave threat for those who were outside of the boat. But for those who were in the boat, the water became their way home. The water was their safe passage. The water was the way that they were brought safely through. You know, Peter says, just like your baptism. As he puts it in verse 21, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. In a world of swirling uncertainty and confusion, in a world of trouble and suffering, our baptism means that we will be brought safely home at the end. In our own doubts, in our own confusion, running around every day doing the very stuff that we don't want to do, saying the very stuff that we don't want to say, 
even in all of those failures to love. Our baptisms are a clear sign of the promise that is sealed to us by Jesus himself. He will bring us safely home to the Father. I need to hear that pretty much every day, and you probably do too. So Peter's writing to this scattered group of churches in Asia Minor. This week in particular, I think it's poignant to note that he is writing to churches in what we today call Turkey. Elect exiles of the dispersion is what he calls his friends. These people are ethnically and culturally diverse. They are mostly from pagan backgrounds, although there's a few Jewish believers scattered into the mix, and where they live is firmly under the control of the empire. One of the recurrent themes in this letter is suffering, but Peter has a particular form of suffering in mind when he writes about it. He's not writing about the general trouble that comes to everyone, to all of us living in a fallen, broken world. He's writing about suffering for what we believe. Now, it doesn't seem like these churches were experiencing any official of Rome-directed attacks against Christianity. They would come soon enough But there had been spasms of violence against Christians all over the empire. And it's clear when you read this letter that they had faced disdain, they had faced exclusion for being Christians, and maybe some violence. And one of the ways that Peter meets them in this was to encourage them by reminding them that Jesus faced this stuff too. By reminding them that they're not alone. Jesus suffered for the sake of righteousness. And so he can be an example to these people, to his friends, He can be an example of what it looks like to not repay evil for evil. And instead of reviling those who hurt you, blessing those who hurt you. But there's more to it than that. Jesus isn't only an example to them. They're united by faith to Jesus. And what that means, like we have said, I think just about every week during this series, (laughs) what that means is that what is true of Jesus is true about them too. And that's the idea that Peter is building to in the passage that we read. And here's how he starts. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's that familiar idea first. You're not alone. Jesus also suffered. But then Peter takes it in a very different direction, away from Jesus as an example to them and down another road that is even more beautiful. He goes down the road to show Jesus as the one who in solidarity and love goes out ahead of us. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Church, I think every part of that phrase is filled with unending good for people like us. (laughs) But it won't really sound very good. We won't be able to find the good in it if we can't or we won't locate ourselves in it first. We are the ones who needed someone to step in and take our place. (laughs) We are the unrighteous ones, and Jesus the righteous is the one who reached out and put us behind his back and took the hit that we deserved, the hit that he definitely did not deserve. Church, that's the meaning of the cross. It means that we have been forgiven. And it happened just once, Peter says, you and I can't, and we don't ever have to do a thing to add to what Jesus has done. 
He did it because he loves us enough to have done it. And just like we didn't earn it, there is not one speck of a thing that we could ever do or ever have to do to enhance it or to improve it or to maintain it. We just rest in it by faith in Jesus. Why did Jesus do that? To what end did he do that? Why did he take the hit for us? Why did he take our place? Well, you could hear the answer to that every day, church. You could hear it every day, and you would never exhaust its meaning, and you'd never exhaust its power. Peter says he did it so that he might bring us to God. Jesus did it so that he could bring us safely home to the Father. He did it so he could lead us to the place where we finally know God fully and completely like he knows us fully and completely. He did it to take us to the place where we do not see through a glass darkly anymore. We see face to face. He did it to lead us to a place where all of the tears are wiped away and death is no more and everything has been made new. And we are fully human in the way that he made us to be. He did it to lead us to the place of this unending, joyful feast that goes on and on and on when the myriads and myriads sing worthy and where the river of the water of life flows from the throne of, the God, of God and of the Lamb forever. He did it to lead us home. He did it so that he might bring us to God. And this is what Peter says to encourage these churches who have started to suffer for what they believe. He is pointing them and he is pointing us to Jesus who went before us and takes us with him. Being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. And that's what brings Peter to that really, really interesting list of things that he says about Jesus in verses 19 and 20. He says that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. (laughs) And if that sounds confusing when you hear that, you are not alone. Christians for centuries have read those words and scratched their heads trying to figure out exactly what it was that Peter meant. Like what prison (laughs) and what spirits and what did Jesus say when he got there and when did this happen? And I absolutely don't think we need to know all of the specifics, all of the answers to that to get to the larger point, but I can tell you something that might help. As odd as it might seem uh, to us sitting here this morning today, Noah, Noah was a really, really popular figure in first century Asia Minor. (laughs) And he was popular because there was this really strong tradition that his ark had rested in the mountains somewhere there. Noah was so popular that the locals had minted minted coins with a picture of Noah and his wife on one side and with a picture of the emperor on the other side. So I think that the people in Peter's churches who were familiar with these stories and who were familiar with all of the religious oral traditions and written traditions surrounding them, they probably knew exactly what it was that Peter was alluding to. What was confusing, uh, what is confusing to us I don't doubt was very illuminating to them. But I'm telling you, church, the bigger point is clear to all of us. The bigger point is crystal clear. The Jesus who went before us is wildly powerful. 
And he has gone to places. And he has shown authority over things that we can't even begin to fathom. Even death itself has withered in defeat in front of him. He is powerful. And we, we affirm that. We articulate the force of that when we say with the creed that Jesus descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's precisely what Peter is about to say about Jesus, by the way, in verse 22. But happily for us, he does not say that without first saying something about our baptisms. So it's one thing to say that Jesus has gone before us. And then in self-giving love and by his unfathomable, frightening power, he will lead us safely home. Peter has said that, and it's absolutely true. But it's another thing altogether, isn't it, to say that God has graciously given his church a tangible sign of it. That he's graciously given us something that we can feel and something that we can see and something that we can touch something that happens with joyful regularity in places all around the globe pretty much every day. Something that is easy to understand, not confusing, something that's easily understood by young and old alike across every conceivable social, ethnic, and geographic circumstance to remind us. He's given us something to remind us that Jesus will lead us safely home and to be one of the means of grace he uses to do it. And that is what Peter says about our baptism. There was this ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. And your baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. You know, most of the time when I think about the symbolism of, of water at baptism, I think about its uh, power to cleanse you know, it's this pointer, this really easy pointer to the cleansing flood of Jesus' blood for you and me. And probably second to that, when I think about the symbolism of water at baptism, I think about how it gives us life. We need water to live. Every living thing needs water to live. That's why Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. But sometimes, like here and in Romans 6 that Pastor Dan preached on last week, the symbolism of water is about going down in it to death. The Apostle Paul says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death. We go under the flood with Jesus. Because what is true of him is true of us. The waters of the flood were a threat to those who were outside the ark. They were, in fact, a cleansing judgment. They were a death. But those same waters to those who were inside the safety of the ark were the means of their safe passage home. This is what Peter is talking about when he says that that safe passage through water corresponds to your baptism and mine. Because the truth is, the gap between our righteousness and God's was too great. We were not going to be able to swim it. We were not going to make it. And that's the truth. If we even could, we could swim for a million years and we would never get there. We would never span that gap. Because what we needed was someone to go in in front of us 
and to take us by the hand and to carry us through that water and to haul us up into the safety of the ark, through and out of death and into life and safety. And that is what Peter says that Jesus has done for us through his death for our sins and through his resurrection. Not as he puts it, not as he puts it in a removal of dirt from the body, like it's some obscure cleansing ritual, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, for that newness of life through the resurrection of Jesus, who Peter says has gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. You can see how this would be an incredibly bracing thing to folks who were beginning to suffer for what they believed. And church, is, it's bracing for us too. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly the kind of trouble that you are staring down. I mean, I do know that a few people, just a few, who will hear this sermon are in places where Christians are routinely caused to suffer for what they believe. But that's not most of us. However, we live with our own uncertainty and our own trouble. Anxiety and despair and cynicism and resignation, they feel like they are in the air all around us and we can almost see it. And we have our doubts too, right? Our own struggles with things that we want to shake and we can't seem to shake it. We have our own fears that wake us up early in the morning or keep us up late at night. So listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus, who is over all, who is ruling right now in unfathomable power, he will bring you safely home. And that's the truth. And when you are unsure or when you are scared when you are tempted to think that it might not be true and to stop believing it and to doubt and to stop abiding, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism because that is what it means. It is a sign of Jesus bringing us home to God and it is one of the means of grace that he uses to do it. He will bring us safely home. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would use whatever means uh, that you have, including our worship together and our lives, the lives that we live together, scripture and the sacraments, that you'd use whatever means you have to remind us that this is true and so that we would know it in, in the depth of who we are, that we will be brought safely home. Father, you know that we wander, and so shepherd us with this truth. And when we have believed it and believed it again, give us a deep sense of safety and a deep sense of gratefulness. Father, we ask that you would do this so that we could be people who grow up in our faith and mature in our faith and strengthen in it and so that we could be a people through whom you love this broken world. And we do pray, Father, uh, for those regions of Turkey and Syria that were affected by these earthquakes. And we pray for those people who are in great suffering, that you would use the church there to bring love and peace and relief. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.